now listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by Outside the Culture. Take through the civil rights movement, there were women who would rush out to the schoolyards when they were trying to integrate schools and they would uh, push over the school buses uh, that were bringing black children to the school, push them over and set them afire. And when I saw that, I was wondering whether I could ever get a group of black women under any circumstances from any walk of life to hurt some white children to set a bus on fire full of white children for any reason. Prostitutes, drug addicts, ministers, teachers, black women of any level. Could I call them all together and say, we have got to burn these white children? And I didn't believe I could ever find that. So I thought those white mothers, they were not just white women, they had actually had children knew what that was like but they could do that to those children they could spit at a child so I thought that is the most degrading life I could imagine of being an adult who could do that if I were those white people the absence of that shame was so profound that the real victim was not those children. It was those women who had given up everything, their motherhood, their womanhood, their citizenship, everything to do that nasty thing. Now that is a true victim of history. And also uh, underlying that behavior is a shocking barbarism, isn't there? It always is shocking. It's always shocking. And I insist on being shocked. You are now listening to The Power Hour. Somebody say host Jordy and I am your host Trez wow that was a very powerful answer to a question that black people have been uh, asking for years Um, you know the voice that you just heard was Toni Morrison famous a black author she is the author of titles such as beloved The Bluest Eye, Song of Solomon, Sula, you know, um, so many great stories that (laughs) are currently very hot in the news and politics. Um, You know, I don't know if you've seen on the news, but as a part of this whitewashing that's going on to erase African-American history in schools and to erase slavery and to basically try and cover up all the evil things that white people have done over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the latest books that they have been trying to get kicked out of schools is anything by Toni Morrison, um, specifically Beloved, in which I'll say I've never read Beloved, <laughs> but I know the story. Movie? Yes. Oh, okay. With okay. Oprah, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, from the movie, I'm, the movie can only be like, you know, a portion of the oh, book. Yeah, so the book is into, honestly, the movie is very detailed and very graphic. So I can right. imagine what the book um, with the power of imagination is really given. Um, but yeah, shout right. out to a black author, a black activist, a black woman using her voice to, to tell us what we already know. Um, mm. So shout out to her. And I think is so what's so important about the excerpt that you use is that the level of accountability and honestly, uh, I don't say this lightly, disgrace. Like it was very disgusting. Like you had children 
and you're hurting other people's children as if you don't know how you would feel if somebody was to impose that type of infliction on your child. So I love um, the level of accountability um, that she's placing on these white women um, within that time period and within society, because it's just like, there's no excuse for it. I know for a lot, a long, you know, a lot of times within the black community, um, there's so many excuses that are, you know, just given to white people. Oh, they don't know, or they're not aware. And it's just like, it's, it's common sense. Mm. And also it's funny, I think how she like turned this issue of, you know, like who's the victim, like how she turned it around, mm -hmm. which, you know, the, who is the victim is also a very political. Like, you know, we, even to this day, we still hear the stories of, you know, black people that are just minding their business and out of nowhere, it's a white person that's got to put their nose in somebody else's business and accuse them of doing something that they were absolutely not doing. Then it turns into a whole thing. And then, you know, once the shit hits the fan, they went, Oh, you know, I'm just, you know, just looking out for me or, you know, the children, like Tia's Madison always says, the children, you know, what about the children, the children? And so it's like, you know, Tony, when, when, when Mrs. Morrison, when Miss Morrison answers this question and she's like, you know what, if you do want to be the victim, here is why you are the victim. It's because you're so sad. You're so evil. And that filth on your soul is so disgusting. That is what makes you the victim. Because to a child, how, how could you display such evil to children? Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. Ooh, well, with that being said, I'm sure we'll get back uh, into that more <laughs> uh, with our topic today. Um, and before we even go all deep into that, do you want to maybe just use the rest of our time to talk about what we've been up to? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so with me, um, I've definitely been going through some trials this week. Um, but, you know, I've just been persevering. I know I I might have lashed out a little bit this week, you know, but I definitely, you know, ask for forgiveness um, because one thing about it, I was able to get through that situation by the grace of God. And I'm so thankful. Um, but if I didn't learn anything else this week, I definitely learned that no matter what, you got to keep pushing. Whether you're sad, you're happy, you're mad, you're angry. The show must go on. Don't sit in bed dwelling about things that you can't change because you guys, you still got some more stuff to do. You got a purpose out here. You got to, you know, keep sticking with it. Um, so if I could give anybody any piece of advice, it would be that keep pushing, whether you push when you're angry, push when you're sad, push with tears in your eyes, push with joy in your heart, but just keep going. Um, cause one, one situation ain't about to stop the show. Um, you know, so you just got to keep going. I'm still in esthetician school. We've been working on eyelashes. Um, we've been working on Yanni Steens, holistic remedies, um, for women. And, um, I've been really interested in that because I can't wait to provide those type of services, um, to black women specifically, um, just, you know, being able to help them cleanse their bodies, their minds, their souls, um, and just, you know, live a healthier lifestyle. Um, so that's what I've been working on this week. What about you, Tris? Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I do. I love that. Um, this week I have been at work, y'all, just trying to protect my spirit from these demons at this, mm -hmm. at this mental institute. I don't even know if that's politically correct to say. I don't want to offend nobody. Y'all, I work at a place. <sighs> Let's just say I, I wish there was a therapist with me just at all times, just just to block some things because I work with people that will really push you to to the limits of your own sanity because it's just like people people can be having such different experiences of life at this time like life at this time is really crazy if you step back and think about it like and not to, you know, spread any fake news, but I did just see on the news, they were talking about how like in prices are inflated over 6.3% just from last year alone. And like how it's like the most that prices have ever increased in one year alone in like 30 years. And there's just like, think people are fed up with jobs and like, I don't know. And it's like, it's just so crazy how like I interact with these people that 
are just totally immune to that. Like people that just could not have a care in the world. They just want what they want and that is it. And I just, I really have to sit with that. And sometimes I'm just, I'm just, I can't do anything but be here and be present and thankful for the things that I do have. Whew. You know what it reminds me of? And I know this may be an extreme comparison, but like, um, have you ever seen the movie of um, the boy in the striped pajamas? I have not. Is that about the, um, the, the, like during the Nazi times and like. Yes, 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 yes. yes. So like um, this little boy, he is pretty much the son of one of the generals that's, um, you know, inflicting Hitler's views on the world. So he works within the, like the corporation or the group of army men that actually, you know, enslave, um, you know, and partake in the genocide. And he ends up, like, I guess they live, they end up living across the fence from the actual, um, what is it called? The actual concentration camp. So he makes this, the little boy makes a friend with one of the um, one of the little boys that's inside the concentration camp. So one of the Jew, Jew children, and um, <laughs> is that politically incorrect? Uh, I don't know. Somebody said maybe Jewish children. Jewish children. Same. Um, I apologize. Ish is definitely changing that whole dynamic. Y'all know what I meant. I meant that very non-disrespectfully um yes yeah, so, yes i'm with you i'm with your soul sister so he ends up like you know befriending him and um one of the days like where they're about to um disintegrate the bodies the little boy goes behind the fence gets the pajamas because he doesn't know what's really going on um he ended he and pretty much ends up um spoiler alert he ends up being um disintegrated with the jew with the jewish people um mm. You know, and it just I really think about that a lot because I really do feel like a lot of people live on the other side of the fence and they inflict the social standards of what we're going through. But they have no idea what it feels like until somebody that's close to them is incorporated in that demographic that we live in. And then the, all of a sudden they understand what's going on. And, oh, you know, it kind of gives them a shot of the realities that they live in because we have people within society that just push buttons and change people's whole entire lives and sign documents, but they never understand what the people that they're signing the documents on behalf of are really mm. facing because they've never felt it. Mm. Um, so I definitely feel like that, that's a lot of like what I see in society now. People making decisions for, we got men making decisions for women. We got the rich making decisions for the poor. It's just, everything is just all out of whack. Mm. Well, with that being said, we're going to take a little break um, and we'll be right back before we go into our main topic. Okay, and as usual, you know, here on the Power Hour, we love to shout out our Black businesses, our Black creatives, all of that. And this week, I just want to give a shout out to one of my favorite brands, Telfar. I love them. I love them so much. Every time I think about how I want them to take over the world and to become the next LV or the next Gucci, I just, I just fall in love. I just love that brand. I love the blackness. I love the creativity. I love the anti-capitalist capitalism that they sort of partake in. I love the democracy of it. I just love it. Like, I love the simplicity. I love the modernity. I just love how they're pushing things forward. I just wish that I could get butt naked myself in oil and just wrap myself up and I want to take a bunch of Telfar bags I want to cut them up into squares and rectangles then I want to sew them together into a giant quilt I want to stuff it with pure African Egyptian cotton 
just want to wrap myself in that soft vegan leather blanket. I just love them so much. I hope that they go far. I hope that they dominate. I hope that they anchor. You know, I hope that they solidify their place in the industry. And I hope that they are here for many, 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 many years to come. And that's my testimony. Thank you. today and speaking of which do you want to let the people know what we'll be talking about today absolutely so today guys we're going to be getting into um some black mm, black creative energy so um me and trez um i know if you haven't already if you have netflix you've definitely seen um that colin kaepernick has come out with a limited series um about some of the things that he struggled as growing up and being getting to where he is today. Um, many people know Colin as a activist slash ex football player um, that decided to take a stance um, at the height of one of America's social constructions um, where, you know, People wanted, were highlighting um, the disadvantages that black people face in the hands of police and at the hands of white people in America. And Colin took it upon himself to use the knee that God gave him to kneel during the national anthem. And it just sent the, the whites into an uproar, child. Um, so that's a little backstory on him. But we'll be getting into pretty much um, his limited series that he worked with, um, side by side with Ava um, to create um and just give you kind of guys a, our feedback on what we believe um our takeaways and what we believe it essentially was saying um anything you want to add to that Trev? no not really i mean yeah like you said essentially it was just a six-part documentary each episode was about 30 minutes um and yeah like jp said we're not really going to go over like each episode um you should definitely go watch it just to kind of get the feel of the whole thing but we are just gonna spend um, about five minutes or so, just on different points that we thought were very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, do you just want to go ahead and jump in? Right. Okay. So how we can do it is I'll say one and then you say a point. Uh, or do you want uh, me to go through all of my points and then you go through all of your points? Let's go back and forth. I like a back and forth. Okay. Um, I will definitely start. Um, so after, well, I definitely binge watched the limited series. Um, I just kind of wanted to, you know, take all of the contents in and just kind of develop a thorough standpoint, um, if I must. But even through watching it, I do want to say that I felt like because it was so limited, it was, it still left me with so many questions that I don't feel like was answered within that um, limited series. So I'm hoping that they may come out with like a part two or something just so we can kind of dive a little bit deeper um, into, you know, Colin's uh, upbringing and his, you know, his life. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I definitely noticed um, that really stuck out to me in this limited series was the family dynamic. Um, So for those who don't know, Colin Kaepernick uh, was adopted um, by two white parents, um, and he is a biracial child. Um, so throughout the limited series, I just often saw the prejudice and just family disconnect from his parents. Like when he wanted to wear braids, his parents um, thought it was a phase. When he was trying to find ways to explore and get in touch with his um with his blackness, I just didn't feel like he had room at home to really embrace that. And although his parents are not black and they don't really understand that side of him, I don't feel like they were very encouraging. And I think that's very important for kids to feel encouraged when they're exploring themselves as they grow up. And I just didn't, I definitely wasn't feeling like he was getting that at home. It was a point in the film where um, Colin was playing baseball, basketball, and he played one more sport, football, of course, 
the um and i guess his baseball coach wanted him to cut his braids off because um it just was unprofessional his parents was like oh well um if your coach is saying you got to cut your hair off pretty much you got to cut it off and it was just like he kept asking why i wanted to know why that the braids wasn't fitting for you know him to play baseball because at the end of the day like when you're playing baseball you have a helmet on so he was just a little confused and i just felt like their answer was pretty much because we said so and you look like and then the mom blurts out like you look like a thug and i'm just like this is your child like you know i just didn't feel like it was a lot of protection and just like a lot of understanding of him being able to explore the side of him it's like they adopted him so they wanted him to just write off this other part of himself that's like half of who he is um so that's something that i really just saw and i was just i wasn't really too fond of um and then like when he was also it's another part in the series where he's driving to a tournament um and he gets pulled over um for you know he's learning how to drive they're teaching him they're in the car with him um and he gets pulled over by a cop and they ask him to give you know his learner's permit and he goes to grab it and then the cop you know like grabs his gun and then the father's like well you did ask him and then after the fact instead of like you know breaking that down for him and letting him understand like you know letting him know what that meant they were like you know oh be happy like you just you know you just got away with not getting a ticket but literally he almost died like it's like he could have really died in that moment just because he had a white officer being handsy on a gun and anybody that ever seen colin kaepernick he really can pass for white not saying that's what he's trying to do but he's just a very lighter skin tone um and outside of his hair i mean i was very from the looking eye you really want like he's not dark skin so it's not like he wakes up with dark skin every day not saying that he doesn't have um the, doesn't face oppression but just for him to be getting that reaction in this you know small white town that he's living in it just really lets you know that no matter what shade um or how much colorism affects being black is just one of those things that people either don't understand from the outside looking in they're not trying to understand or they're not giving you like a lot of people are not giving you that aid to be like you know what it is fucked up what you're going through but they feel like because they don't experience it that a lot of times they make it seem like it's not there and i, I just i thought that was very mind-boggling hmm. what about you what's one of your points i will say um to piggyback off of that like i felt like well, and I will also say, um, I did see like this sort of like behind the scenes clip where they interviewed Colin and Ava and Colin was basically saying that like the show, um, was basically almost like supposed to be an educational piece and which I think me and you had kind of talked about that. Cause we were looking at like the rating. Cause it was like, what was it like TV 14 or like something yeah. like, you know, something for the young folks. And so like Colin was basically saying that like, you know, like a lot of the stuff is very like black and white and like stereotypical or like shown in like, you know, just a very blatant fashion because he was like, you know, it's important for people to recognize what it is. And like, that's why he put like a lot of definitions and, you know, and that's why it's, I think that's why it sort of has like that feel that you were talking about. Like, yeah, in a way it is a documentary, but it's almost like a documentary about his life. That's like, for educational purposes only. Yeah. You could tell by the way it's styled that it's something that they want children to be able to identify, um, be educated on, but also when they see it in the real world, they're like, okay, well, this is what I saw in the documentary. So this might be microaggression. And I, I love that. I right. love that, that there is content out there that not only talks about the trauma, but also lets you know that you're not alone. So if you are facing this, like you're not crazy. This is something that is really going on in society, as subtle as sometimes it may be. And which is really my first point, which was like, it was really good at showing that Colin was like trapped between these two cultures because he had like these white parents like and they weren't just like white, like they were white, like in the sense of uh, you know, just white Christian parents and, you know, they don't interact with black people beyond their son, Colin, who is only what who's biracial. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it is important that, like you said, it's great that we have these educational pieces now, because I think what was so painful for 
Colin growing up or what he showed in that documentary was that he didn't have like that language to really understand. And like all these different times that you pointed out where like they were sort of dissing him or like having microaggressive <laughs> comments and attitudes towards like his braids or, you know, like the sort of people that he hung around or, you know, who they thought he should be dating, like all of these different things, like were just small ways of being, you know, like, um, I don't really, I don't really like it. You know, why don't you come over here with Susie? You know, she's whiter and cleaner and brighter, but you know, but it's not like that. It's like, it's a little different. It's, mm, you know, it's the, the, your hair just doesn't look professional or, you know, I just, I think Susie is just a little smarter, you know, like the constant lingering of disapproval and like within a household. And then like the disapproval of nothing other than the fact that you want to explore your blackness. That's it. Right. 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 And like, yeah, I just, it would just sad to think about. I don't know. I don't, I think it's also good, you know, maybe to have this story. Cause I don't know any other, I'm trying to think of like other stories of like biracial people or kids or, you know, but so yeah, it's a good, it was good to see this sort of like between two cultures. Um, but also, again, just like their blindness, like, like just the blindness, like of his parents, his white friends. And it just speaks to like that privilege of just like nothing is going to happen to me. Like I'm safe in this world. Like, like you were talking about when they got pulled. Mind you, this the police officer that pulled them over sees this same fucking van driving up and down the street every goddamn weekend because Colin goes to the same freaking tournament every weekend. But no, the one time that Colin is driving and which honestly, if Colin is driving, I'm thinking this is a white person driving as bright as he is. Shit. But anyways, um, gets pulled over, like almost gets shot when the cop, when the officer told him to pull out his permit. He almost gets shot for complying with what the officer told him to do. And his parents are just like, oh, <laughs> oh, Colin, oh, let's go get some Denny's, hon. Or like when they're in the elevator and like, okay, so they keep going to this tournament, which like I like we told y'all, the place is predominantly white. Everywhere they turn, mind you, they keep asking the white parents, are they okay? And they keep looking at Colin, like Colin don't kill the people, the parents. Like, and the parents are not addressing this with the people that's asking them. Like, so in the movie, or excuse me, in the short film or series, eventually Colin just gets fed up and he's just like, I'm okay too. And then the father's like, someone's feisty today. And then Colin thinks he's talking about the man that is asking them if they're okay. He's just like, yeah, that man's crazy. He's like, I'm talking about you. And I'm just like, you're going to make it seem as if your kid is the aggressor when there's grown people and multiple grown white people are asking you guys at every moment, are y'all safe around your kid? And you know what? I'm glad that you said that because it also speaks to it, like the, how ironic all of this shit is because it's like talking about blindness, like they're blind to the fact that their son is black and experiencing all of these different things and different challenges because he has a little bit of brown sugar in his goddamn cream. And so like, but at the same time, it's like you said, it's like other people that are, that see him and react to him are like, Oh no, this nigga is black. Get this black nigga out of here. I'm a, somebody call the cops. Oh my God. 911 help somebody help. But at the same time, the parents are, eh, Colin, like, yeah, you just got to do better, be sweetie. It. You just got to be more professional. You know, like, it's great. But then at the same time, when they, when the parents themselves are going into black spaces, interacting with black people, it's, oh, it's okay. Hi. I am so sorry. Like, I know you guys like fried chicken and watermelon. But no, if I could she please asks just the lady in. about the braids and she don't know the term for the cornrows. And what is that thing, you know, the thing that you guys have on your heads? Like they're they're like ropes. You know, they're like ropes. And then, Anyways, like, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 this is my first time doing this. And like they want so much grace and mercy, but then they don't extend that same favor to others. 
And it's just like the fear, like this, the blindness and the fear. It's like, how are you so supreme? You have so much power, but at the same time, you're so goddamn scared. You couldn't even sit in the room while your son was getting his hair done. Yeah, that mm, is. Mm, mm. And then had the nerve. It was the food joke. For, we all right. We got to move on. Cause what's your second point? What's your second point? Anticipates, <laughs> okay? Because this is a lot going on. Okay, so for my second point, um, I just, of course, as a black woman, I definitely just want to say I noticed um, the constant negating of black beauty um, for Crystal. Um, so it gets around homecoming time and, you know, Colin is looking at this beautiful black girl um, that he wants to take um, to the homecoming dance. And um, he has this one black friend um, who's darker skin tone. Um, and he's like, you want to take Crystal? Um, Crystal? And he just keeps, you know, talking about how black she is um, and how he because it's at the same time, there's this white girl named Haley that is, you know, begging for his attention she's forcefully putting her phone her child Haley was throwing it left right up right and center putting the spotlight on it it. okay she was throwing it at the boy she wanted she was trying to get up and i know you go in places i'm trying to get up on that coattail i'm trying to go with you um and he wasn't really paying her any attention and it was this girl crystal who you know seems to be off in her own world doing her own thing wasn't really pressing colin but you know that's who he wanted to talk to um you know she was busy one time he tried to talk to her she's you know she had to go and eventually she came back and spoke with them um and i just thought it was crazy because i often see that within society now how like you know black women are told to be exotic in order to be beautiful but another race can just merely exist and they exude all of this you know societal beauty um Mm -hmm. and just to have someone of a dark skin tone saying that another dark skin girl is blue black and um you know she she's oh my god i guess i feel like it really addresses you know, the conditions that, you know, black people have faced, you know, throughout slavery of just not feeling beautiful um, within so their skin yes. and then yes. exposing that on another, like you're putting that off on another person to believe what you have been told or what's instilled in you to not see your own beauty. And this man wants to, you know, love this beautiful black queen. And now you're trying to, you got to pull him out of it. Like, uh, uh-uh, we're going for the white women. We want the whites. And it's just like, if you don't prefer black women, that's fine. But to go out and try to get another person not to want to be with black women, that's insane to me. What are your thoughts on that? It's so prevalent today. And it is, I'm so glad that they included that because it just shows you how like, how this greater societal rule that black is bad, black is ugly, how it gets imposed on black people and they end up, you know, basically like repeating it and reflecting it within yeah. our own community. And it's it's really sad. It's really sad. Um I was listening, I've been listening to this album <laughs> and the album is by a white lady, but she, you know, she cool so far. Yeah, I ain't heard nothing bad about her. And I think she from, you know, from over across the water. But anyways, I've been listening to this album by Tori Amos. It's called Scarlet's Walk. And like, it's like a conceptual album where she basically like represents America and like just all these different songs. But in this one song where she is talking about how white people came over to America and basically just colonized it, the lyric is, um, I think the lyric is, you were a thought and you wanted me to thank you, so I did. Let me repeat that. You were a thought, and you wanted me to thank you, so I did. And like the song Scarlet's Walk is basically about how like white supremacy is is this is this thought, and like as well as like this like physical like colonizing that happens. There's this colonizing of the mind because like in the song, like Scarlett has to admit that, oh my God, like I done bought into the bullshit. I done given up my land and now my family, we don't, we're on the trail of tears, packing our shit up and go live on a reservation. But at the same time, I'm aspiring to look like a white woman. I want to look like the white lady that's on Vogue. I want to, you know, and so like, it's just, I'm, again, I'm just, I'm glad that they included that moment in, in this educational piece. <sighs> 
I definitely, definitely love, love that. And then uh, go back to the parents. Homecoming pictures come. What are the white parents doing? Stuffing the pictures in the drawer, saying that this is a phase after eavesdropping on the conversation about with him and the black friend where he calling the, the you know the beautiful black girl crystal blue black and talk about some what does this term mean and then after that now all of a sudden she ain't good enough for his kid and hope uh, you know saying that they hope you know hopefully believe that this is a phase i just mm. saw the rhetoric mm. it, it was it was a lot to unpack it was a lot to unpack well um let's see my next two points are kind of big, <laughs> not big in the sense of like they're going to need a lot of time, but just like, um, okay, I want to, let's shift the gears a little bit, or for me, just, you know, tap in when you feel like you need to tap in. Um, the next thing I want to bring up was the opening of the show. And I'll say the opening of the show, I felt like it really like packed a punch because mm -hmm. like it was talking about just like the history of black people and how the NFL is akin to like slavery. And like, I thought that was so powerful because I feel like it's something that don't nobody really be like discussing. And like, did you know that the NFL is okay? Guess what percentage that of guess what percentage of NFL players are black? It has to be like 80%. I'll be surprised. Mm. Like lower. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's a little lower. It oh. fluctuates between sixty and seventy percent. So close. Okay. And then it's about you know twenty percent white, and then the rest is you know a, just a, a blend of beautiful people. Um, now I want you to guess what percentage of NFL team owners, managers, any of that, what percentage are black? Ten percent. That was generous. It's zero percent. Mm -hmm. There are no black NFL team owners. There are, you know, a couple of coaches here. There aren't even any head coaches. There's, I think there's like a couple of like assistant coaches or whatever the second level down is. There are no black leaders ownership in a billion trillion dollar industry that is primarily black. And that so you want to talk about the NFL being slavery. Mm. Hey, and what do they call the team manager? What do they call the people that um, that's over the team owners? Mm. And it's always giving son, boy, come here, mm. get here faster. It's just the whole concept of it all. Um, and I think that's really mind blowing just because the NFL is carried on the back of black men. Um, it's carried on the back of them. Li on, literally the physical back. Literally, because um, they're the ones out there risking their lives. Um, a lot of times that they don't invest the money properly when they leave the NFL, they don't have uh, much to, you know, to stand back on. They're not really, you know, receiving the financial literacy or the financial planning um, that they should be giving um, based on the fact that, you know, because it go and I'm going to talk about, I'm glad you said that. Please hold that because I'm going to talk about that at my next point. I think I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy that there are no owners um, and then there are there are no partial owners and then you know, there are no partial owners um, and just the fact that they give so much to this, you know, this community or this culture. Um, and a lot of, a lot of, I know a lot of the viewers are black. I know for a fact. And they kind of are the ones that's buying the merch or the ones that's going to the mm -hmm. game, the ones that's filling up the boxes, filling up the seats. But yet there's no investment back into the black community outside of them playing for their lives. And not only that, like while they are within this, in this, within this industry, playing this game, they're experiencing racism, oppression, all of that right in our face. As much as they're paid, as big of stars as um, uh, a lot of these black football players are, what happened during the black, like when the Black Lives Matter movement got hot and Colin Kaepernick sat down on that one knee? It was an uproar. And it's so when we again talking about how white supremacy is a thought that can invade people's mind, not only was Colin treated crazy and the people who knelt beside him treated crazy, how many of those black football players were like, Colin, if you don't stand your black ass up, man, and quit fucking shit up, 
When if half again, NFL is sixty to seventy percent black. If they if half of them have set their asses down, mm. they have they would have to shut the whole thing down because they can't do it without them. And I think that's another <sighs> important conversation right there. These ain't these ain't the Asada Shakurs and the Malcolm X's. Mm. Because mm. they were all they we would have been kneeling. And if mm. you didn't kneel, you might have got shot. Mm. And two other, just before we wrap up on this point, I just want to mention two other things that I found while I was searching about how many, um, you know, the blackness of the NFL. Um, one other thing I saw was that, I don't know if you, how like, you know, the whole thing about the brain injuries that football players have is crazy, but apparently there's this huge lawsuit that's going on. I think it's still going on now with the NFL because whenever players were getting their payouts from brain injuries from this game where they're literally like damaging their bodies with each and every game, the black payers were receiving less money because the NFL standard stated that black NFL players were naturally less cognitively developed than other players. So basically saying that black people were dumber and slower to function to begin with. So the okay. fact that they have less function after these brain injuries, that means that they're going to get less money because they were already slow to begin with, which just blows my mind. And uh, one more pop quiz. Guess when that standard was created? Guess a year. Child, I'm scared. I'm scared, child. Just lay it on me, child. 1990. Wow. In 1990, somebody fixed their mouth to say that, write it down, and make that the rule. 1990. And that's not even, and we talk about that. And people are like, oh, 30 years ago? 30 years ago was 1990. That was 1990. I was born in 1993. <sighs> Hello? <laughs> so three years before I was born, the stupidity was still very relevant mm. so what's 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 your next point what else stood out to you and final point um it's just the the repeating concept of being overlooked and misunderstood that i felt like he was facing um and i feel like that's even going on now even with his whole kneeling like i feel like that you know, within the media, of course, what white people gonna do, what white people do, um, they they went above and beyond to deliberately misunderstand what he was saying. Um, mm. I felt like he was pretty much going through that throughout the series where people was not understanding where he was coming from. When he was going to different sources, whether it be a friend um, or a parent or authority figure that is supposed to be, you know, put into his life to kind of guide him. And he was asking questions it was just like they wasn't really trying to hear anything that he had to say or, you know, try to understand where he was coming from and try to be there for him. They were all pushing their views onto him, like what they saw, mm -hmm. their vision that they saw for him. Um, like when he talks about um, wanting to play football and all he has is baseball scholarships and he's telling the baseball coach, I don't want to play baseball. And he's like, oh, you're going to ruin your life or um you have no idea what you're doing. Um, like he was so disgusted with this young man because he was making an active decision of his life to decide that he wanted to be a football player, no matter how hard the odds was going to be. This is what he wanted. And instead of supporting him and being like, okay, I'm going to help you. We're going to figure this out together because this is the life that you're choosing and this is your life to choose. Instead of looking at me as a dollar sign and looking at me as a human being and realizing that, that you are here to assist me along my journey and not make decisions for me. I just felt like it was a, a lot of that. Like like I said before, when he was asking his parents why he couldn't wear a braid. Oh, we, we are your parents. We wouldn't steer you wrong, would we? But you're not providing this young man that's growing up and exploring himself with any answers. Like, yeah, telling him constantly, joking about him cutting off his hair and he he's he loves his hair. He's, he's trying to find new ways to, you know, explore his crown and, and be his own individual. And instead of being there with him, I felt like a lot of times he was just overlooked. Um, even when he was the best 
football player to be, um, I guess he was trying out for a JV. They still went with a poster boy and said, you know, you're too ambitious. We already have a JV. Like, you know, pretty much give up. There's no reason for you to keep trying. And I just felt like he was constantly faced with adversity over and over again. And even when, you know, white people were smiling in his face, they was behind closed doors saying, you know, throwing him out. Like, oh, we got somebody better. We got somebody that, you know, fits the image of what we want this to be instead of picking the person who was the right person for the job. Um, so that was just something that I just kept continuing to see. And I thought that was so heartbreaking for and just to kind of feel like how a child would feel if they're, you know, mm -hmm. trusting these outlets and the outlets that they're trusting, every outlet that they're going to is pretty much if there's a disconnect. So you, mm -hmm. you're having to face all of this alone and you're having to figure out your own way to navigate this world. And I don't know how that doesn't make you angry. And even when it does make you angry, you are seen as the aggressor. <laughs> I, I just, I really felt for him um, throughout that series. What about you? Oh, uh, some of that brings me to my last point as well, which is something I'm glad that they um, touched on, <laughs> which is what I'm calling the school to NFL pipeline. Like, it was so crazy to see. Like, there was one point Colin said, as a kid, you don't think you're being groomed for a system. You just love playing football. And it's like, wow, like, it's really what it is. Like, taking advantage of, like, that joy, that excitement. Football players in TV, movies, in real life, you know, in high school, just, you know, the football, shit, that's where I said, hey, you know, the popular kids, the football player, the cheerleader, you know, like it's such an image. And you know, something that I was thinking about mm -hmm. when you think about like all the movies and TV shows that you've ever watched, mm -hmm. those football players and, you know, the popular kids, they always be white. <laughs> they be why they have a you know a couple of black friends that's on the team with them but then it's so funny to think about like in real life in actuality these are mostly young black kids coming out of sometimes coming out of you know fantastic homes but sometimes coming out of not so fantastic places and like i was telling jordy when we were discussing after watching this series like i come from a football town like i went to high school in texas so it was all about football and football was <laughs> football was like one of the few ways that was like, you know, you can make it out. You know, you can do good things if you are successful in football. So and it was also so crazy that like, again, just thinking like, I don't remember any black football coaches. All the football coaches that I remember from high school were white the majority of the high school football team was probably black and Mexican. And as I was also telling Jordy, one thing that I also vividly remember was if you were good enough at football, the coaches would adopt you. Like they would mm. adopt you from your black family. You would live with them. They would pay for you to go to college, you know, pay for everything you needed for school. Of course, they would try to get you set up on a football scholarship and then pay for whatever else you needed. And, uh, it was just like they showed in Colin, like you became their investment. Like the decisions, you know, were, weren't really yours anymore. And like, if you didn't make a decision, like they wanted you to make it, or if you made a mistake, because, which is another crazy thing to think about is like these kids, you know, coming from a place where like they've, never been anywhere like they've you know interacted with like the same people from kindergarten through 12th grade and like now having to like go out into the world and like be like a spokesperson a spokesperson for somebody else's investment somebody else's dream and being expected to fucking shoot their arrow all the way across the sky and become this nfl player that's going to make them millions of dollars and like mm -hmm put money back in their pockets like that is a lot of pressure so of course they're going to make mistakes then they do make a mistake and they're, and they're thrown away after the mistake is made they're thrown away there's so many people that again <laughs> like like it it we call it said that it is that these kids are being groomed for a system those words are so true. And I, again, like it looks like slavery. You have white overseers, white management who are 
facilitating this system of black bodies. <laughs> and it's so crazy how it's just it's just a thing. Hey, like you said, black people, we buying the merch. They're watching the TV shows. The, I mean, the um, the game, you know, even through the Black Lives Matter movement, even through the Black Lives Matter movement, the NFL ratings and viewings only dip down a little bit. I just feel like and then we have this concept as within the black community that football is just this ticket out of the hood. Like it's it's, it's so the sports are rapping. Like it's glorified to a scale of just like like there's no other options for black kids. Like for instance, like my brother, my brother has a son, which is you know my nephew, and he wants to play soccer. And my brother was like, no, he's gonna play football because that's gonna be our ticket out the hood. I'm just like, if the boy want to play soccer, let the boy play soccer. Mm. Like we we have a problem when society looks at our kids as grown, but we make them grow up so fast, and it's just like. When do kids, when do black kids get to be black kids? Um, during the Black Lives Matter movement, we had kids on the front line, you know, protesting. And it was beautiful to see, but it was also very heartbreaking in the same breath because when do these kids get to be kids? When do they get to be seen as kids? Not only by society, but as one another. Mm. Let these babies have some fun while they can. Well, with that being said, I guess sort of overall, what would you rate the Collins special? Um, as far Let's as say out of five, we doing out of five. <laughs> as for information, I would give it a four point five because I feel like I honestly would give it a five. I don't see nothing wrong with the content that was being posted. I just felt like mm -hmm. it disturb. It was the disturbing in some moments to watch because it was heartbreaking. But it's like the kids need to know. Mm. The kids need to know. And I appreciate that it was something that was different because a lot I know a lot of biracial people that I've met throughout my life. They talk about being too black for the white kids and being too white for the black kids. And I'm happy that someone, you know, spread light on that. And then when not only did it spread light on the difficulties um, that they face, but it also talked about monumental figures that were black that stood on it. So it mentioned Asada Shakur, it mentioned Malcolm X, it mentioned Martin Luther King, it mentioned um, Elvin, Ar you know, Ellen Iverson, excuse me. It mentioned uh, people that if kids didn't have no one to look to, you know, when it comes to like speaking up about how they feel, they mm. have. It's so, yeah, you're right. It's so important to have those images and like, you know, just like that vocabulary, those words to just even be able to express what you're experiencing, what and what's happening, like that makes it easier to under. It doesn't necessarily make it easier to deal with, but I think it does make it easier to navigate because you're not feeling like, like, am I crazy or like, right, right. Right. Yeah, I think it's important for um kids to have that content because right now we live in that media age where a lot of media is teaching our kids and they don't often feel comfortable to come to their parents or come to people or even their parents or their people they feel comfortable don't have the time to sit down and break this down in a way that is thought out. Um, you know, because these conversations, you have to think on these type of conversations. You can't just rip off an answer and give it to a kid because they go, that's going to stick with them. So if someone mm -hmm. is taking a time out to do the research and put it in a collective manner where they can understand and it's healthy and it's not damaging, let them people tell that story. They don't put that time in the, you know, get that right for them kids. Let them kids see that, you know, and answer those questions afterwards. Like this is something I would sit down with my kid and watch and be like, you know what? How do you feel about this? Like, have you ever experienced this? Like, those, this is one of those therapeutic moments that can mean a lot to a kid. And it sort of reminds me of, I don't know, it sort of reminds me of what Tony was saying at the beginning in a way, just about how, like, these things are shocking. Like, when you experience it, when you see it, when you hear about it, even just like in Collins or, you know, we see him getting you know, beat or hung or anything like that. But like, it was still just like, just like the blatant disrespect and 
just like the the way that they just I don't know, just the way they put black people as like this other and just this this foreign, just wild, just yeah, it's 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 crazy, but I'm glad I'm glad this is out there. I would definitely give this a five as well. Like, you know, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Like, I, especially with the audience that it's for, like, you know, I, I feel like it was for a younger audience. You know, this wasn't like a HBO, you know, like TVMA, you know, um, <laughs> this wasn't uh, the Underground Railroad, you know, <laughs> so I, I definitely appreciate it for what it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't checked it out already, make sure you tune in. Support our black people. Um, support the yes. black art. Um, so tap into it. It is a limited series. It's only about thirty-five minutes per episode. I won't hurt to tap in and you know see see what because if you don't watch it, the kids may watch it. People, the kids love Colin. If anybody needs to watch it, please, children, Let the please. Kids watch it. So y'all can know. Hmm. Well, okay. That being said, um, I guess we're going to spend the last uh, 10, 15 minutes or so um, giving some power. We want to, you know, last week we brought you, so I'm, I'm sorry, not last week, but last episode we brought you some music. This episode, me and Jordy want to bring you, Jordy and I, we want to bring you some words of power. Last week we had music of power. This week we have words of power. All right. So, um, I think you should go first in this because I feel like your me is a little bit more. It's a little bit shorter. Than oh. mine. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I will go first. Um, so I guess just to give a little heads up, I have been reading a book, y'all. I have been reading this book by <clears throat> the book that I have been reading is called African Americans and Jungian Psychology. It's by Fanny Brewster. And basically the book is just talking about how like modern psychology, how Jungian psychology has left out black people as many white, as many white I don't even know as as whiteness tends to do whiteness tends to leave out black people and of course Carl Jung as brilliant as his theories may be he was a white man and his position of a black people just in the total psychology of of everyone is not necessarily an empowering place and so her book is just about that and just shining light on that and at the intro of the book, she has this quote from W.E.B. Du Bois. And this quote basically talks about it's basically just like quoting how black people, how white people interact with black people. So let me just read it. Let me just read it. It's long. Well, I thought it was long. I'm going to post it, you know, in the comments or whatever. But let me read it. Between me and the other world. There is ever an unasked question, unasked by some through feelings of delicacy, by others through the difficulty of rightly framing it. All, nevertheless, flutter round it. They approach me in a half-hesitant sort of way, eye me curiously or compassionately, and then, instead of saying directly, how does it feel to be a problem, they say, I know an excellent colored man in my town or I fought at Mechanicsville, or do not these Southern outrages make your blood boil? At these, I smile, or am interested, or reduce the boiling to a simmer as the occasion may require. To the real question, how does it feel to be a problem? I answer seldom a word. And that is from W.E.B. Du Bois from the souls of black folk. And that was published in 1901. And I thought it was very important because um, he's basically saying that and I, it, I felt like it related to like what Colin was experiencing, like the way that white people can talk about blackness and like at the same time, you know, either sound so concerned or, you know, want to make it seem like they're an ally and they're not one of the bad people. At the same time, the question that they're really asking is, can you believe that you are black and that we do not like you niggers? 
That's the underlying question. And like, I just thought it was so crazy that like, which it's not crazy at all. I'm just like, wow, like 1901. Like, it's so funny because like they act the same way today. (laughs) They they do the same thing today. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They got that shit down to a pack. Okay. Mm. It's broken. It's so broken. Um, but mm. I definitely feel like they they do that often within society though. Don't really ask you what they're trying to ask you, but deep down mm. you know what the hell they're talking about. So, I just want to read that sentence one more the last sentence one more time. How does it feel to be a problem? I answer seldom a word. Hmm. Cause there is no answer. There's no answer to that question. And that's that's my reading, y'all, this week. I just wanted to bring y'all that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to follow up. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt because this is a little bit lengthy. Um, so recently um, I have read The Taste of Power by Elaine Brown, who was an active Black Panther. Um, and I followed up with Asada and Autobiography, um, which is by Asada Shakur. And the forward is by Angela Davis and Lennox Hines, who um, was her lawyer for a, por- a portion of her trial. Um, so I'm going to read an excerpt um, of her, the tape that she made uh, while she was in prison wait, awaiting trial. Um, it's going to be called To My People, um, and it was recorded on July 4th, 1973. <clears throat> And it was broadcast on many radio stations. Black brothers, black sisters, I want you to know that I love you and I hope that somewhere in your hearts you have love for me. My name is Ashada Shakur, slave named Joanne Chesimard, and I am a revolutionary, a black revolutionary, excuse me, a black revolutionary. By that, I mean that I have declared war on all forces that have raped our women, castrated our men and kept our babies empty belly. I have declared war on the rich who prosper on our poverty, the politicians who lie to us with smiling faces, and all the mindless, heartless robots who protect them in their property. I am a black revolutionary, and as such, I am a victim of all the wrath, hatred, and slander that America is capable of. Like all other black revolutionaries, America is trying to lynch me. I am a black revolutionary woman, and because of this, I have been charged with and accused of every alleged crime in which a women was believed to have participated. The alleged crimes in which only men was were supposedly involved, I have been accused of planning. They have plastered pictures alleged to be me in post offices, airports, hotels, police cars, subways, banks, television, and newspapers. They have offered over $50,000 in rewards for my capture, and they have issued orders to shoot on sight and shoot to kill. I am a black revolutionary, and by definition, that makes me a part of the Black Liberation Army. The pigs have used their newspapers and TVs to paint the Black Liberation Army as vicious, brutal, mad dog criminals. They have called us gangsters and gun moles and have compared us to such characters as John Dillinger and Ma Barker. It should be clear. It must be clear to anyone who can think, see, or hear that we are the victims, the victims and not the criminals. It should also be clear to us by now who the real criminals are. Nixon and his crime partners have murdered hundreds of third world brothers and sisters in Vietnam, Cambodia, Mozambique, Angola, and South Africa. As we've proved by Watergate, the top law enforcement officials in this country are a lynching bunch of criminals. The president, two attorney generals, and the head of the FBI, the head of the CIA, and half the White House staff have been implicated in Watergate crimes. They call us murderers, but we did not murder over 250 unarmed black men, women, and children, or wound thousands of others in the riots they provoked during the 60s. The rulers of this country have always considered their property more important than our lives. They call us murderers, but we were not responsible for the 28 brother inmates and nine hostages murdered at Attica. They call us murderers, but we do not murder and wound over 30 unarmed black students at Jackson State or Southern State either. They call us murderers, but we did not murder Martin Luther King Jr., Emmett Till, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, George Jackson, Nat Turner, James Cheney, and countless others. We did not murder by shooting in the back 16-year-old Rita Lloyd, 11-year-old Ricky Bowden, or 10-year-old Clifford Glover. 
They call us murderers, but we did not control or enforce a system of racism and oppression that systematically murders black and third world people. Although black people supposedly comprise about 15% of the total American population, at least 60% of murder victims are black. For every pig that is killed in the so-called line of duty, there are at least 50 black people murdered by the police. Black life expectancy is much lower than white and they do their best to kill us before we are even born. We are born, excuse me, we are burned alive in fire trap and tenements. Our black, excuse me, our black brothers and sisters OD daily from heroin and methadone. Our babies die from lead poisoning. Million of, millions of black people have died as a result of indecent medical care. This is murder, but they have got the goals to call us murderers. Um, and that's about the most I'm going to read from this excerpt. Um, of course, the video recording um, that she recorded goes longer. I definitely wanted to actually showcase the video, but I couldn't find it. Um, I'm not really surprised. They probably took it down um, because of the things that she was saying. And of course, in order to continue to paint the narrative that Asada Shakur was crazy um, and that she was a criminal, although she was only convicted once. Hmm. And I think that's so important because the things that she's mentioning are some of the things that we're still facing today. Mm -hmm. So to cause multiple different people crazy for the to, for having the same storyline, the same convictions, we would have to be crazy ourselves to believe that um, there isn't a greater a greater plot um, being bestowed on black people in general. So if you haven't, make sure you pick up that book. Um, that's Asada, an autobiography by Asada Shakur herself. Um, get in touch with your black people um, and pick up some black media this week. Support mm -hmm. a black business, tap into your black people um, and find a way to connect so that we can actually be out here doing the work to help our people as a whole. Absolutely. Ooh, well, we hope y'all enjoyed the episode. Again, y'all go check out uh, Colin Kaepernick in black and white on Netflix. It was pretty good. Pretty absolutely. good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we will be back with you, not next week, but the week after. We'll be here. And we'll be back.